Hey, you've connected into the Mountain Park Church podcast. My name is Andrew, and I'm one of the pastors at Mountain Park. Uh, we're thankful to be able to spend this time with you. The beating heart of our church, the the thing that gives us um, just a holy stirring and longing is to create a culture of hunger and longing for the presence of Jesus and his spirit-driven formational work in us for the sake of the world around us. We've been connecting uh, together in this series called Foundations for a number of weeks now. And it may seem like a bit of an odd title for this type of series, but we wanna lay um, a sort of the meta-narrative foundation of the kingdom of God on the earth, uh, what's gone wrong, why we are where we are, the role of the Holy Spirit in um, on the earth and in kingdom life. What is the kingdom? We talked about that a number of weeks back. As we get uh, closer toward talking about spiritual gifts and living in dependence on the Holy Spirit's gifts and power, we, uh, we're sort of coming at this a little bit backwards. We're, we're backing into this a little bit, but we wanna lay this foundation um, as it relates to spiritual gifts. We wanna lay this foundation of the broader, larger cosmic reality that we live in a universe that's both material and spiritual and they're intertwined together. We cannot separate them. We also wanted to lay a foundation uh, a number of weeks ago that um, the initial work of the Spirit, the, the focus, I think, of the Spirit of God in our lives begins with character and a formation of our heart and our life, our interior life into the image of God. That um, salvation is not disconnected from sanctification, but that um, immediately the Holy Spirit wants to begin a deep work in our character so that our inner life can sustain in a healthy way, can sustain our outer life. And so we wanted to lay that foundation before we step into talking about the gifts. We believe that it's foundational to understand the Holy Spirit wants to work in you uh, maybe even before he wants to work through you. We've also talked about walking in step with the Holy Spirit, that our life is meant to be lived in responsiveness to his leadership. There are two essentials for walking in step with the Spirit. One is direction, and you can get that from Galatians 5. Um, Paul goes through a long list of things that are not the direction of the Spirit. Um, so one is direction and second is pace. You can be going in the right direction, but be off pace with the Spirit of God and be misaligned to what he wants to do in your life, how he wants to use you. Those kairos and divinely appointed moments um, require pace and understanding again, as we think of spiritual gifts, we need to remember that they are gifts from the Spirit. They're not ours. They're not ours to just wield however we want. We use them. We function responsively to the Spirit. We walk in step with Him. We also took some time to lay a foundation 
And that's this week of 1 Corinthians 13. That 1 Corinthians 13, a chapter about love, which is really a chapter about God's nature and his character, is absolutely essential as a foundational reality in our life if we are to operate properly within the body and see spiritual gifts in their proper light. So that's what we're talking about today. I don't want to take up any more of your time before we get into the message, but today is that foundational reality of understanding who God is. His essential nature is love and um, a call for us to step into that reality where we don't just cognitively know we're loved by God. We live out of the reality, an experiential reality of His love. I want to invite you to open up to 1 Corinthians 13, which most of you probably had read at your wedding. Um, it's Paul's famous chapter of, uh, about love. And we didn't pick this because it seemed to be a, you know, um, a sappy Mother's Day type of topic. This chapter is very powerful. And this chapter undergirds everything we've been talking about as it relates to the work in the life of the Holy Spirit. This chapter undergirds everything we're going to talk about as it relates to walking in the power and authority and the gifts of the Spirit. Um, this is not a, a, a sentimental hallmark card kind of chapter. This chapter of Paul's is foundational to our understanding of the nature of the kingdom of God. This chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, is a description of God himself. And this chapter is an invitation to us. So often, and the reason we're talking about this chapter before we get into 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 so often, when it comes to thinking of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, our, our desire to operate in his spiritual gifts and in his power to see his kingdom come through us on the earth around us, so often we dislodge that from chapter 13. We dislodge that from character, from the issues of the heart. We dislodge it from our attitudes and how we relate to other people. And so much damage has been done in the church. So much damage has been done in the name of God through spiritual gifts that are used in violation of 1 Corinthians 13. As a church, uh, if you're new with us, um, we just want you to know at, 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 here at our church, we believe that all of the gifts are active, that they didn't die with the apostles, that they're present and active for us today. But the power of the Holy Spirit has to work through chapter 13. It has to. And so often when we see and think of how these gifts 
have operated. Some of you come from church backgrounds where they have been used and sought and you saw the good and the bad and the ugly with them. You saw the abuse of them and the dysfunction of them. You saw God's power in one sense moving visibly. You've seen people healed and lives restored. You've seen so much, but you've also seen this shadow side to it where those gifts are used out of a heart of narcissism and insecurity, not love. And some of you have grown up in backgrounds where you've never really heard about the Holy Spirit or his gifts. Maybe you've been taught that they, that they, don't, they did not carry on past the apostles. And so you've maybe grown up in an environment or been cult, uh, cultivated in an environment of fear and resistance to them. 1 Corinthians 13 is for you. So I want to read this, and we're going to just talk about this a little bit here this morning. I'm going to do my best with it. If you have your Bibles, get your eyes on them, and uh, we'll read this here. 1 Corinthians 13, starting in verse 1. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, that meaning speaking in tongues, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So right away in verse 1, Paul sets the context. The context of this chapter is the use of spiritual gifts within the body and life of the church. He's not talking about when you're getting married and the pastor's message because he doesn't know what else to say uh, at the altar on that day. <laughs> Paul goes on, if I had the gift of prophecy and if I understand all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, if I'm operating in the power of God with insight from God, the power of the Holy Spirit on me, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. And so Paul here is speaking to both sides of this equation. Those who have had this, uh, this uh, sort of desire to encounter God in the supernatural and to walk in his supernatural gifting and those on the other side of the coin who've said, no, I'm not really interested in that, but my, I'm going to give my life to serve the poor. I'm going to give my body and my whole life to invest in the poor. Both sides of that coin can lead to dysfunction if it's not actually anchored in what Paul is talking about, in love. So Paul is bringing us out of a performance-based faith into an inner reality of the heart here. And then Paul goes on to explain love. Again, this... Uh, is not about some, this is not a chapter about our Western understanding of love, which is basically feelings and emotion. 
Those can be part of what love is, but love and feelings and emotion are not the same thing. So this is a description here of the very nature of God. If you want to know who God is, this is a great place to start. Verse three, love is patient and kind. That is the natural disposition of God towards you. That is the default disposition of the heart of God towards you. Like I said, when I was praying, God's default posture is not anger. His default posture is not anger. Anger, God expresses in a righteous way and he does get angry sometimes. There's no question about it. Love is his nature and character. Anger is not. Anger is an aberration for God. It's an unusual expression of his character. His natural disposition towards you, when he thinks of you, which he does all the time, when you're sleeping, when you're coming and when you're going, when you're struggling and when you're feeling great, his natural disposition is to be patient and kind with you and me. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. That little statement lies at the very core, the essence of what love means. Sometimes we've heard love described as a verb, an action word. It's not. Love is a disposition of heart that leads to action. But love itself, the very core of it, is a desire for the good of those around you. The very center of love is not focused on you or me. It's focused on the person across from me. The very inner being, the, the foundational reality of love is that love by its very nature is the expression of our life, deciding to act for the good of the person around us for the good of the person we're in conflict with, for the good of our enemy. That's what Jesus taught. Love is not a feeling or emotion, although those can come with it. Love is the, de the determination to act or respond to those around us for their good. And this is exactly what Jesus demonstrated. This is exactly what God demonstrated in sending Jesus to us. Paul continues. It's not irritable. Let's just pause there for a moment. <laughs> this was a particular source of conviction last night. Uh, Rochelle and I were both frantically working to get Mother's Day stuff ready. 
Um, I, here's the double standard, right? When it's Father's Day, literally, guys, we do nothing, really. When it's Mother's Day, they're still cooking and they're still making dinner for everybody and they're still cleaning and doing all of that stuff. Anyway, we were kind of, it was the end of the day and we were tired and that word irritable was going on for both of us. But love isn't irritable. Love in that moment is our decision to act for the good of the other. Our decision to be the one who says, I, I, I know we're both tired. I know we've kind of had enough of what's going on here, this stuff. But I am going to determine now to act not for what's good for me, to lick my wounds, to, to nurse my insecurity and how hard I am done by and all of that stuff. What I'm going to do in this moment is actually seek your good. The question would be for whoever is opposite you, God, what would be good for them right now? And I haven't come across an instance where I've asked that and the answer has been, Andrew, just go with what's, you know, what's in your heart right now. Because what's in my heart is not for their good. It's for me to feel justified or better or to feel empowered or to feel bigger or whatever it is. It's selfish. But love is not that way. It's not irritable. I think in the last few years, the church has been very irritable to the culture around us. I'll just leave that there. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. It never loses faith. It is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Again, this is a description of the nature of God. This is a description of the default posture and heart of God toward you and me. He never gives up. He never loses faith in you or me. He doesn't get tired. He's not irritable with you or I. He's not frustrated. He hasn't reached the last straw with us. It's never over. It's never done. It's never too much. Paul goes on to say, and again, he comes back to these gifts, prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. Paul says, when I was a child, I spoke in thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. Paul there is not talking 
about the present reality sometimes, and no one really uses this anymore, really. Uh, but sometimes people would use these verses as an argument that the gifts have ended. That gifts like prophecy, tongues, words of knowledge, healing, that those are done with. But Paul here is not talking about um, the entrance of Jesus onto the earth and the work of the apostles and disciples. He's talking about eternity. He's talking about heaven. He's talking about life here on the earth in the literal presence of Jesus. And then he says this, these three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. I think the greatest threat to our ability to walk in greater measures of kingdom authority and power is our capacity to carry love. It's our capacity to be driven by a heart of love, not to try and be loving. So this is where I, and maybe if you're like me, you get things confused, right? We've talked about some of the spiritual, um, not the gifts, we've talked about the fruit of the Spirit and things like that. And we hear sort of Paul's teaching in Galatians 5 on the fruit of the Spirit. And we're like, ah, oh, shoot, I need to be more patient, more kind, more gentle, more good. Or we hear this and we're like, ah, oh, I just need to be more loving. That's not the point. You cannot be more loving. You cannot will yourself to produce more of the fruit of the Spirit. These things are not cultivated in your life and my life by trying to do them more. They're cultivated by intimacy with Jesus and with the Father. So it's not cultivated by just trying to be more loving. It's cultivated by getting on your knees in the quiet of the morning when nobody else is there and directing your heart toward God, offering your life to him. It's cultivated in the quiet secret moments, not in the moment where you're trying to be more like something where you're trying to express more of the fruit of the Spirit, or you're trying to love. You cannot love. You don't have the capacity to increase your ability to love. It's only a work of the Spirit as you intentionally give Him more attention and more space and more time in your life. That's why we talk so much about spiritual practices as a church. Jesus used them to cultivate a deep inner life. So you cannot grow in the fruit of the Spirit or love by applying human effort and energy to it. That's called religion. And it doesn't work. It'll leave you frustrated, demoralized, insecure. We grow our capacity to love as we immerse our attention and our life more deeply in the presence of Jesus. And I don't know a practice that is better for this than practicing silence and solitude. I don't know a practice more frustrating but better for this than sitting before God and keeping my mouth shut. Again, it's not human activity that produces these things. 
and you don't measure them on the scale of days or hours. You measure this on the scale of years and decades. And this flies in, 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 in the face of everything we want in our culture, which is immediate. I want an immediate response to my input. I want to put the quarter in and I need something to, I need a gumball to come out of the bottom. And so often that's the way we treat our faith life. God, I'll give you a few moments of my attention, but I better feel your presence. I better hear your voice. I better recognize you um, in some way. I, I better have some kind of revelation from scripture or some kind of, I need a gumball to come out at the bottom. But in, in my experience, and there are people that are much further along than I am in the spiritual life, in my experience, the most powerful agent to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit and the love of Christ is solitude and silence. It's actually sitting before God and releasing him from my expectation that he meet my needs in the moment. I literally do this in the mornings. God, I release you from my expectation to hear your voice in these moments. I release you from my demand to feel your presence even in my body. I release you from my expectation to receive anything from you that I want. Instead, I teach me to sit with you and just be in your presence. It's in that hidden, unknown work that goes way, way deeper than our conscious level. It's in that space where the Spirit of God is at work forming our inner man or woman. It's a work of God. It's not your work. The only effort we give in it is our effort to be present and give him a few moments of our time. Like we say all the time, grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. It takes effort for me to carve away moments of intentional attention on God in prayer. That takes effort. I have to will to do that. But if I say I love God and love is an act of the will, then a sign of my devotion toward God is the movement of my will from thought into activity. It's in that place when I'm not sensing anything from God, hearing him speak, I'm not having any grand epiphanies or revelations or, or goosebumps or whatever it is. It's in that place that I trust and know because the heart of God is good, that the spirit of God is at work in unknown ways, forming my inner being. That's why the Psalms are filled with calls to be still before God, to stop talking, <laughs> There's nothing wrong with prayer that uses our words and our thoughts. There's an avenue for all of that. But there's nothing that you can do in your own strength and power to cultivate love. And so here's our problem. When we talk about the spiritual gifts, which we're going to get to, and I realize every week we say, coming soon, coming soon, coming <laughs> 
But it is. It is truly coming soon. One of the greatest damages, areas of wounding and pain and, and really humiliation for the church have been men and women through the ages that have used spiritual gifts as a weapon to gratify their own flesh, as a vehicle to promote their name, their influence, their power, their authority, or conversely, as a means to protect them from their own insecurity, from their own narcissism, from their own dysfunction. We, so we use spiritual gifts in all kinds of dysfunctional ways. And God is gracious. He's so good. And he's way more gracious to us than we deserve. And so he can redeem that stuff. I'm not saying like, so the answer is not to throw the baby out with the bathwater because we've seen abuses of things. Because you and I have seen people operating in the flesh. The answer is not to throw it all away. The answer for improper use for anything is not, um, you know, unuse. It's proper use. But I believe that in this day, in your lives and in my lives, on the streets where your houses are, the neighborhoods that you live in, that God wants to release greater capacity in you to carry his kingdom authority and power. And the foundation of that is love. The foundation of that is not frustration at your neighbor because they politically don't align with you. The frustration of that is not disgust at somebody's choices or their sexual ethic. The foundation of that is not insecurity or fear because we feel like we're losing our place in culture and society. Those are all dysfunctional uses of the kingdom of God. The foundation that he wants you to walk in is love. Why? Because love is the opposite of fear. Courage is not the opposite of fear. Love is. Right? What's that famous verse? 1 John 4. Let's do 17 and 18. Let's just read those together. We quote these all the time, but I don't think, and I would say this about myself even right now, we don't know the half of what John is talking about. We use these verses and we quote scripture without living scripture. And when you quote scripture without living scripture, there's no authority or power in it. Anyway, verse 17. As we live in God, our love grows more perfect. Again, so that's just what I was talking about as you immerse your life and your attention in the presence of God, as you release him, release God from your demands on him for your life to meet this need and meet that need and show up this way and show up that way. He wants to do those things. He loves to do those things. But actually, what we need is to release him from our demands over him to act in a certain way toward us. 
As we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in the world. Verse 18, such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. So the opposite of love is fear. The opposite of fear is not courage, it's love. Why? Because to fully enter in to love with somebody requires unconditional surrender. To fully allow your spouse or your parent or your friends or your loved ones to love you, it requires a condition of receiving love. An absolute condition of that is to surrender yourself fully to that person. That's what David Benner talks about in his book, Surrender to Love. To, in order to give and receive love, we have to fully trust. And in order to trust, we have to surrender. I want to show you, there's this little triangle that I came up with. Um, and it's not original to me. I just, I did my own graphic for it. So that's what I mean when I came up with it. Um, but this triangle is the three sort of anchor points of our faith, the three dimensions of spiritual life as it pertains to what we're talking about now. And actually, Wes, I put that in the drive there. That's a new one for you. So um, he doesn't know that it's there, but now he does. So then we can get it on the screen. But um, these are the three essentials. If we want to move in love, the first thing we need is faith. And faith, at its essence, is trusting in God. Faith, when you boil everything down, is not saying the right things. It's not using the name of Jesus and tacking it on to just every sentence. That's not faith. Faith is trusting God with your life. It's living like you believe what you say about God. You cannot love if you don't trust God first. In our church, I mean, in most Christian churches, but we believe that God created the heavens and the earth. That he is at the top of the food chain of authority and power. There's no one greater than God. For me to have faith in God and to trust him means that I trust him with my life fully in this giant universe that he's created. I don't need to be afraid of what's going on around me in the world today. I don't need to be afraid of the terrors that come by day or by night, as the psalmist said. So faith at that bottom corner is essential to love. The second thing that is necessary for love is dying to yourself. Again, love is the act of our will for the good of the other. 
So that's our family, our coworkers, our community, our church family around us. But to act for the good of those around us, we have to die to ourselves. We have to die to what we want. We have to die to what we think we need to be happy and gratified and satisfied. We have to die to what we think is owed us. We have to die to our desire, our desire to be right. Only when we walk in trust in God in our life, realizing that we are totally safe in God's universe, and only when we're willing to die to ourself, are we able to love others. So love, contrary to what our culture would tell us, love is not the same as desire. And it's not the same as emotion. There may be desires that come with love, but love is not desire. Love is not what you want, right? So I, we do this all the time. You know, if you ask me, what are the things I love? Of course, my wife and my children, my family. But then I would turn to brisket, for instance. Just a random one that comes to mind. I say things like, I love brisket. No, I don't. I want to eat it. I want to consume it. I want it to gratify me. I want the pleasure of it at its expense. There was a cow that had to die in order for me to taste that juicy, scrumptious morsel of meat. And I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to enjoy the heck out of it but it comes at its expense. That's not love. That's not love at all. And we, our culture has twisted this so horrifically that love is the gratification of my desires, my needs being met. That's not love. When we're in relationship with others, love is not me receiving the desires of my heart and my needs being met. Love is me acting for the good and the desire of the other, for the good of their life. Now, what's good for them, according to their desires, is not always best. So love, again, in, in contradiction of our culture, love is not agreeing with everyone that what they want is good. Who they are is good. Love is not just blindly going around and saying, yeah, you, yeah that's good. Whatever you want to be, whatever you want to define your life as, yourself, your sexuality, your, your relationships, all of that. Love is not just walking around and saying, yep, that's good. Agree with that. Yep, you go girl, you go guy. I don't know anyone who does that, but that's... Love is not just walking around and doing that. That's not love. How do we define what's good? We define what's good by Scripture. This is the basis for how we define what is good. We do not define what's good by what our culture says is good. 
sometimes what is good for someone is the very thing they don't want. And the most loving thing to do with gentleness and respect and dignity is to say, I'm sorry, I'm not going to do that for you. I'm not going to engage with this for you because that's not actually what's best for you. That's not what's good. That actually feeds everything that's not good. So love is not just simply walking around and accepting and ingesting everything that everyone demands of us. Love sometimes requires us to define what's good and to hold the line. What I believe and what we believe as a church is best and good for human flourishing is found in Scripture. I don't believe the best for human flourishing is that you are just looking within yourself. You become your own God and your own definition of truth and your own definition of life and your own definition of joy and desire and, and all of that. You, you are not the epicenter of the universe, nor am I. So my definition based on my desires, the base desires of my flesh and my life, they're not the place where I can define goodness and truth. For us, Scripture is that. But because we are people who want to follow the way of Jesus, the way that I interact with culture is not in a, in a disgust of it or an irritability or an intolerance or a, you know, an anger or whatever. It's actually to carry, again, it's to live in the fruit of the Spirit as I encounter those things which are not good. The reason I think that you and I struggle so much in whatever areas it is with the things that just really irritate us, the things that upset us, annoy us, and all of that stuff, the reason I think or one of them that we struggle with that so much is actually rooted in fear and insecurity. For that, we've got to go all the way back to Genesis 1 to 3. And there's many, many smart people that have said, very smart things about Genesis 3, and I would not be um, at the top of that list by any stretch. But I think one of the issues at work, below the surface, as the serpent is tempting Eve, is the, is the intrusion of and the initiation of fear. Eve, can you really trust God with your life because he knows things that you don't know. He knows what's going to happen in the future. He knows all of the, you know, possibilities and ramifications. So Eve, can you really trust God with your life? Are you willing to entrust your life into his hands? And the conundrum that Eve is faced with is, am I going to live in faith? Am I going to trust God knowing that I don't know everything, that I can't see the future, that I can't predict every outcome perfectly? 
Am I going to just release and trust him? Or am I going to take control into my own hands and determine not to walk under God's leadership? The root of that is fear. It's the fear of the unknown. It's the it's FOMO, the fear of missing out. In that moment, the enemy planted seeds of insecurity in Eve, a fear like, whoa, 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 whoa. If I don't know what's coming, how am I supposed to prepare for it? And we see this right now at work all over the earth. I mean, our media empires are so big. They're big the way they are because they, they poke at this base fear. This base fear in you and I that number one, we're out of control. We don't have the control we think we have. And two, that we don't know what the future is. They, they, they dive into that base reality of our life. I'm afraid of what's coming next. And so the reason some of you consume so much media, and it's not all just like non-Christian stuff. Some of the prophetic stuff out there is all geared toward fear of what's coming. And we've got a whole bunch of people who think they know the secrets of what's coming, that God has revealed it to them. But the root of so much of what they're saying is rooted in fear. And it's a call to get your life on track, get your life in order, because X, Y, and Z are going to happen. And X, Y, and Z are coming down the pipe. And oh, did, did you see this world leader met with that world leader? And all of this stuff that Jesus talked about, there's going to be rumors Signs of war. All of this stuff is going to happen. But what? Take heart. Don't be afraid. The end is not coming yet. And so whether it's from CNN or from whoever in the Christian world, the enemy is leveraging fear in our lives. He's leveraging it huge. And so much of our Christian life is a response mechanism of fear. Whether it's the fear of being found out because stuff is going on in your life that no one knows about, whether it's the fear of insecurity going on, whether it's the fear of the unknown in the future, whether it's the fear of the loss of freedom, what's happening in our government and in our world, whether it's the fear of whatever, Dying, it, it could be anything. The enemy is preying on you and I in these areas of fear. And what that drives to, what that drives us to is this chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And the belief and the lived reality that if God is who he says he is, then you can trust him. Another way to say it, 
is you are safe. You're safe. And I don't mean that nothing bad is going to happen to you. That's not what safe is. The apostles were safe and they all died. <laughs> Very unnatural deaths. But you are safe in God's big universe. And when you walk knowing you are loved and you are safe, then the spirit of God can flow out of you in power and authority, right? And so much of my life and maybe yours is limited because my natural disposition is to walk in fear, fear of what you'll think of me, fear of rejection, fear of failure, fear of insignificance. Will my life amount to anything? Fear of being unnoticed, fear of being unloved, fear of isolation, fear of loneliness, fear of powerlessness. So much of our life is lived in fear. And God is inviting you and me to reorient ourselves, to step onto a different platform. And that's one of his love, that you are wholly and completely loved by God. You are totally safe. There's nothing that a political leader or a military force or power can do to damage your security in God's hands. There's nothing the enemy can do. Romans 8, right? Everything that the enemy has worked for evil and bondage and destruction, God can turn into good. There's nothing that he cannot unwind or rewire or restore. You are safe. You are safe in God's hands. How did Jesus do what he was able to do. Jesus lived and walked in the power of the Holy Spirit beyond measure, Scripture says. Part of the reason I think Jesus was able to do that, remember Jesus was fully human, so he experienced every limitation you and I do in our relationship with God. He experienced them all. Don't buy into the lie that Jesus had some kind of ace up his sleeve. He, he was fully God, but fully man, which means he humbly accepted every human limitation you and I experience in connecting and walking in communion with God. But Jesus developed his life with God to the point where he was able to walk free of fear, the fear of those around him, the fear of death, the fear of insult, the fear of all that stuff. And in so doing was able to express with power and authority, the love in the kingdom heart of God. And our world needs followers of Jesus who aren't just angry and irritated and annoyed at everyone, who aren't insecure 
when faced with someone who has very different sexual ethic than they do, who aren't like getting their feathers unruffled and all kinds, our world needs Christian men and women, followers of Jesus, who can walk in the way of love and authority and power in the kingdom. And if you want a reminder of what that looks like, just go back to 1 Corinthians 13. So this foundation series that we're in, the reason we're not jumping right into the gifts is because we, me, me and you, we have stuff in us that the Holy Spirit wants to sort out so that he can more freely flow through us. He has a calling on your life. He has given you gifts in your life, whether you know it or not. And he wants to express the kingdom in you and through you. And it's not just by running around like a spiritual Rambo with your gifts, right? Like a machine gun in the jungle. As cool as that movie is. (laughs) Or not, I don't know, but... That's not the best use of spiritual gifts. The gifts are meant for community. The expression of the Godhead is one of community. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's no individualism. Independence is not a virtue or attribute of the kingdom of God. It's not. You and I are interdependent on each other. So we will get to the gifts. But I I just have a question for you as we just close here today. What are those base fears in your life that are blocking you from actually fully trusting God with your life? For some of you who are parents, it could be fears of uh, your children dying. It could be fears of what's going on in marriage or, but even these are symptomatic fears. There are deeper root fears that the Holy Spirit wants to get to. Fear of being unloved or unlovable. Again, like I mentioned, fear of rejection or insecurity. What is blocking you from actually walking in the fullness of the kingdom of God? Because you are loved and you are fully safe. And when you realize that, when I realize that, I don't know that fully. I don't, it's not like I walk in that in its fullness in any measure. <laughs> but when we realize we are safe, then there is nothing that God would ask us to do, nothing he would prompt us with that would then be a barrier for us because fear would not be present. So, so far, just to recap in this series, because this, if we go on for weeks and weeks and weeks, it can get a little bit daunting. But the place that we've been uh, in week one was just this reality that God created the cosmos, this universe, this world we live in. 
Good luck reading that font size. Um, this, <laughs> this world we live in, I did it so I can make fun of it. This world we live in is both spiritual and material, and the two are interwoven. You can't disconnect them. That's the, the basis of that. Um, part two, the Holy Spirit wants to bring his kingdom in us. That's Pastor Brenda talked about that. The fruit of the Spirit. And uh, God wants to bring the kingdom into our character, those areas of our life. And there are areas of your life and my life where we're resistant to the kingdom of God. There really are. Where the kingdom is not present. Um, part three, the pace of the kingdom. Pastor Alex talked a little bit about this, walking in step with the Spirit, the right use of the gifts of God, our, our, our need to flow in conjunction with the timing of God. So there's two things that you and I need to walk in step with the Spirit. One is direction. Where, where do we go? And Paul talks about that in that list in Galatians 5 of all of that stuff. This is not the direction of the Spirit. So he's pointing out what's not the direction. Refer back to that. Two things to walk in step with the Spirit. One is direction and two is pace. So you can have the right direction and the wrong pace and be out of alignment with the Holy Spirit. And for most of us, our error will be in jumping the gun and trying to move way too quickly not waiting for the Spirit to work, not waiting for Him, not praying long enough, not persevering in these things. So you can have the right direction, but the wrong pace and still miss out on the work of the Spirit in your life. And today we've talked about love as the basis so that when we, when we offer the gifts that God has given us into the body, into the community, into our city and communities, the root of that is not to serve my dysfunctional desires, my need for attention, my need for approval, my need for affirmation, my need, whatever, just go down the list on and on and on. Our heart is that this would be a community of people that is seeing the power of God at work, but that the root of that would be people who are not using God as a tool to gratify their own desires, but are willing to serve the world around them, the people closest to them out of love. Let's just stand together. Why don't you just close your eyes really briefly and we won't take long with this. I just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come right now and you would make sense of my rambling words, that you would make sense of what it is you deeply long to communicate to each one here. Would you deposit into each heart and each soul here words that come from you, that bring life, and I want to ask, Holy Spirit, that you would do a little bit of work in us, in, a, in the deep places of our heart. And I, I just want to invite you to ask the Holy Spirit, if you are able to, if you can, 
I just want to invite you just to say, Jesus, I submit to you. You can just do it really quietly under your breath. Jesus, I submit to you. And Holy Spirit, I ask, I want to ask you, what is it you want me to know right now about the fears that are driving my life? Just ask him, is there something you want me to know right now about the root of the fears that are driving my life? Are there fears that are driving your Christian life? The way you follow Jesus, are there fears that are driving the way you interact with the world around you, with your family, coworkers, spouse? Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would come, bring revelation and insight, not to discourage or condemn, but to bring life and freedom. Again, I just cancel the blinding effects of the enemy of God over every heart, mind here. Holy Spirit, would you expose or begin to expose some of these deep places of our life so that we can be given more fully into the hands of God and we can trust him more deeply with our life and our future our world, and we can learn to die to our desires and live instead for the good of others. If you sense the Holy Spirit has just spoken something to you, um, I want you just to, this week, just to continue to ask him about it. Just, just ask him, just say, to, would you talk to me more about that? And he will. He loves you and he's for you. Anything that the Holy Spirit reveals to you is not to humiliate you or discourage you. It's to bring you life. And so I just pray for your covering over every family here, Jesus. Again, I just cancel... Um, any assignments, any counter assignments of the enemy of God over our families or our homes. Father, I pray for every mother here that you would just speak life and hope and encouragement over them. That you would just renew and restore them uh, from the deep, deep places of their heart and soul. Father, we are just wanting to know this week, how do we trust you more with our lives? Teach us to give you more of our attention each day. To cultivate a life that's not lived just to gratify what we want, but to ask you, God, what is on your heart for my life today? How do I please you? And so we just ask for that. We pray for your blessing over each home here. In Jesus' name, amen.